0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I
1: went down in the river to pray, Studying about that good old way, And who shall wear the starry crown, Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, Let's go down, come on down.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We have come to the last week of the month of November. And with that, we have also come to a place where we need to do an offertory. But I have so much I'd like to share with you out of the scriptures that I, I've i been asking the Lord, could I just not do an offertory? Would you move in the hearts of your people to call pledges in while I teach on a very, very vital issue. If you would, call 877-534-0780 and tell Brother Kevin, our producer, how much you would be willing, under the power of the Spirit, to give as a pledge for this month. We are still short a great deal, several thousand dollars. I need to hear from you, but there's so much I want to share with you out of the Word that I don't want to take a day just to do offertory. The time is too precious. So would you call 877-534-0780? You don't need to go on air. You don't need to give your name or your phone number or your address. Just tell Brother Kevin how much you would like to pledge. Now, to the broadcast. I was asked a very vital question by one of our listeners, and that is, have I yet received the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? It's now been a a number of months that I've been praying and waiting on God for that anointing. The answer is, no, I have not yet received it. No, I have not yet received that anointing. Am I discouraged? No, I'm not. The Lord is doing a marvelous work of breaking down and teaching me what is necessary in order for Him to give that Pentecost baptism of power. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you and share with you the process He's taking me through. It is a breaking process. It is a humbling process. I'm going to share some thoughts with you from a book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessen. If you've never heard of it, I urge you to find it. It's called The Calvary Road by Roy Hessen. I'm not going to just read through the book. I'm going to share some thoughts from it. And then I want to go straight to the scriptures and I want to walk through something that happened with the disciples. That was extremely embarrassing for them and called them to be utterly broken before Jesus. You know, what I love about the scriptures in part is that it doesn't cover up anything. It says it like it is and it lets it be right there as it is. That's important to me. I want to live the same way. So let's pray as I begin. Almighty God, I plead now in the power of your Spirit for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost baptism. Lord, you have anointed me, and I speak your word with the anointing you've given me, but it is not sufficient. I can't make the progress with the gospel message that's necessary if this nation's capital is to be turned from wickedness. Lord, I'm asking for the fullness of your Holy Spirit that you gave to your apostles and to the believers, to Stephen and to many others. Lord, we need, desperately need, the fullness of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, come, please, and teach us this way of humility today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. It's necessary that we come into a right relationship with Jesus. And the first thing we must learn if we're going to come into that right relationship with Jesus is that our wills must be broken to His will. To be broken is the beginning process of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the beginning of revival. It is painful It is humiliating. It utterly destroys all pride. We must be bent. As they said in the Welsh revival, bend us, O God. The Lord Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through us until the proud self within us is utterly broken. This simply means that the hard, unyielding self which justifies itself wants its own way stands up for its rights seeks its own glory must at last bow its head to God's will and admit that it is wrong it must give up its own way and surrender its rights to Jesus, that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about literally a need to die to self and to self attitudes. As we look honestly at our Christian lives, can you see how much of self there is yet in each of us? It is so often that self tries to live the Christian life. The mere fact that we use the word try indicates that it's self that is responsible. It is self, too, who is often doing Christian work. It's always self that gets irritated, defensive, envious, resentful, critical, worried. It is who is hard and unyielding in its attitudes toward others. It is self who is shy and self-conscious and reserved. No wonder we need breaking. As long as self is in control, God can do little with us or for us. Being broken is both God's work and our work. He must bring the pressure to bear, but we have to make the choice. If we are really open to conviction, we seek fellowship with God. God will show us the expression of this proud heart's hard self that causes him such pain. Then it is we can stiffen our necks and we can refuse to repent We can bow the head and say, yes, Lord. Some of you don't even realize how hard you are. You've rejected the Holy Spirit for so many years. You've turned aside from his promptings for so many years that you think you're okay. See, there are sins. And when a, a man comes or woman comes to Jesus They may be committing fornication. They may be living in adultery. They may be smoking pot. They may be lying or cheating at work. They may be lusting after money or position or power. When a person comes to Jesus, those outward sins are very quickly cut off and removed, and we no longer have any interest in them. But then we have to come to deal with the sin of our heart. Not external sin, but inward sin. Pride. Self-sufficiency. Arrogance. We have to deal with always feeling hurt and playing the victim. We have to deal with all of the inward issues of the soul as Jesus points them out to us and asks, will you give that to me? Now, some of you are going to say, but pastor, being shy and reserved and that's just who I am. Well, that's who your sinful person is. If you say that's just who I am, then you're going to have to live with the rest of your life with those things in place in your heart. But if you come to Jesus and you allow him to apply the blood to those things, they are utterly removed and you no longer walk in that self-consciousness. See, pride can take two forms. It can be an outward pushing of myself forward or it can be an inward pulling myself back and saying, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, nobody cares about me, I'm gonna go eat worms. Both are pride, just the opposite sides of the coin. So let me, let me walk you through some scriptures. Now, part of what I need to say before I open this is that in the scriptures, when they were written, there were very few sentence structures. There were no chapters and there were no verses. Those were all added much later. Now, we allow these separations of verse and chapter to throw us off from the flow of the Scriptures. Today, I want you to see the flow of Scripture. I want you to see the story as it unfolds. Please understand that the disciples did not attend church and then go home and then come back on Wednesday night go home, and then come back on Sunday. They stayed with Jesus 24-7. They didn't leave. And so the flow of conversation was constant, and the flow of interaction with one part with the next is very apparent if we look at it. So we find in Mark, the eighth chapter, Jesus calls the crowd to himself, along with his disciples and he says this is verse 34 whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So Jesus is just being very upfront and saying, Look, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And where is he going? To Golgotha, to be crucified. He's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Remember what Paul said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We have to be crucified. And this is the death of all sin in our lives. This is the death of all of the inward and outward sins so that we walk clean before God. Now, what is happening in my life is that I'm being utterly broken, utterly broken on the inner part of my heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking powerfully with me. He's preparing me for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know what he's told me and I know what he'll do. He'll keep his word to me. He made very real promises. And I'm going to trust him. Now we come to chapter nine, but remember there is no division here. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. That opens the way for the transfiguration. Now, now stay with me. There's the message about being crucified with Christ and dying to self. Then we come to the transfiguration. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he does not allow all of his disciples to come. Instead, it's Peter, James, and John. And he goes up into the high mountain. They're all alone. And the scriptures say he was transfigured before them. Literally, his clothes became dazzling white. There appeared with him Elijah and Moses. Elijah, the prophets, Moses, the law. They were talking with Jesus. We can assume they were talking about what was going to happen soon at the crucifixion. I'm so happy he had these two awesome men come to talk with him instead of just having angels. He needed Elijah's and Moses' encouragement. And Peter speaks up and he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put three shelters up one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was scared, witless. And his emptiness just bubbled up out of himself. And a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. So, Peter, close your mouth. Stop speaking foolishness. And listen to my son. And then they looked around and everything was normal again. The father was gone. Moses and Elijah were gone. They were with Jesus alone. His garments no longer shone. They were, again, the dust and dirt, stained with sweat. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus gives them an order not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this matter between themselves, but they kept discussing, what is he talking about rising from the dead? What's that about? They ask him about Elijah. He indicates to them that Elijah had already come in John the Baptist. Now, as they come down off the mountain, I want you to see this. As they came, the other disciples were there, with a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus asks them, What are you arguing with them about? What are you arguing with my disciples about? Disciples, what are you arguing with the crowd about? And a man in the crowd answers, and he says, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit. But they could not. Now, this is shocking. Why can't they drive this spirit out? He has given them authority over spirits, over demons, over all sickness, and even over death. And they have been out on their missionary journey and they have actually done all of these things. Why can't they do it here? What's the issue? Now, please, there are no accidents here. Notice what Jesus says. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He's exasperated. This should have been an easy thing for his disciples to do. This was not a hard thing. They had the power and the anointing of Jesus to cast the demons out. Why couldn't they cast the demons out? They brought this boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, he began to act up. He immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. He put on quite a show. Jesus asked the father, How long has your boy been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And some manuscripts include prayer and fasting immediately the boy's father exclaimed i do believe help me overcome my unbelief in other words i'll position myself to believe you when jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit he said i command you come out of him and never enter him again The spirit shrieks, he convulses him violently, and he comes out of him. And the boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. Now, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. Now, I've preached on this many times, and I have ended the sermon right here. And the teaching is we need to begin to pray and fast. At least one day a week, we need to be fasting. And we need to be constant in prayer. But this begs the question of why the disciples could not cast out this demon. Was this an especially tough kind of demon? Is there such a thing? No. No. All demons are subject to the power of our Lord Jesus. He is the Almighty. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And every demon must bow at his feet. Remember when he cast the legion out of the man who was terrorizing the whole neighborhood by his antics and he sent them into the pigs and the pigs all rushed down the mountain and died. It was legion was in this man and that legion of demons had to bow before Jesus and they were terrified of Jesus power. So this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. Let's keep reading and let's see what the real issue here is. They left that place and passed through Galilee. In other words, they left that location at the foot of the mountain and they walked toward Galilee and through Galilee. Now, Jesus wanted to just get lost from the crowd for a while because there was a very serious issue he needed to deal with his disciples on. It is in part the issue of why they could not cast out this demon. He was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, The Son of Man, that was his favorite title for himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying, what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. And finally they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, probably Peter's house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? And they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Ah, wait a minute. Now we're beginning to see why they could not cast the demon out. They had grieved the Holy Spirit from themselves. They had forfeited the power that Jesus had granted to them because their whole mind was set on how can I be the greatest. They were not humble before God. They were arrogant. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted seats of authority. After all, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And they had left behind family and friends and businesses. And now they're walking, following Jesus everywhere he goes. They've just walked from this mountain where Peter, James, and John have seen amazing things that they're not allowed to tell the other disciples. So I suspect the other disciples were asking them what happened, and they're saying, we can't talk about it. Jesus said, we can't talk about it which in a sense set them up as somebody because that's how their hearts were wired. They wanted to be recognized. There was pride and arrogance in their hearts. They could not cast out this demon because this demon would not listen to a man or to a woman who was filled with pride who wanted to advance their situation. I'm sure one after another of the disciples tried to cast this demon out in order to prove to the others that they were the powerful one. They were the one who had authority. They could say and do what they wanted to say and do, and the demon would have to obey them because Jesus had given them the power. And they couldn't do it. And it was embarrassing. And the scribes and the Pharisees were there to witness their total loss of ability to heal the sick. And so they began to argue with them. I don't know how they argued with the disciples, but they probably said, you know, this Messiah is not the Messiah. Look, you can't even do what he told you to do. You said he gave you power to heal the sick. Well, prove it. Cast this demon out. It was all centered around themselves and their recognition and their power and they couldn't do it. Oh, this thing of being broken is so vital. None of us want to be broken. None of us want our will to be broken. But if you're going to follow Jesus, that will has to be broken. That's the first step toward the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing with me. He's humbled my heart. He's caused me to recognize that I'm no one. That I hold no special abilities or powers or. There's no reason anyone should recognize me as being anything special. All my life, all I've wanted to do was succeed and do something good for God. What utter foolishness. God is not into succeeding. He doesn't need to. He is the Almighty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to stop here just for a minute. Uh, And I want to go to another scripture. Keep your finger if you're following me there in Mark, uh, the ninth chapter, Go with me to the book of Philippians. I'm going to begin reading with verse 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, when I have a great deal of comfort from the love of Jesus, he is so magnificent. And his love is so overwhelming. And I have great encouragement by being united with Jesus. I've been united with Jesus. I'm walking in his love. But he's breaking my will. It says, if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. So we're saying, look, if you have any encouragement by being a follower of Jesus, if you have any comfort in the incredible love he's poured out for you, if you share Commonly in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. If the gospel of Jesus has created any tenderness in your heart. Any compassion in your heart. Is there tenderness and compassion in your heart today? Or is it criticism and judgment and accusation? Scorn. And he's saying, would you make my joy complete? by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in the mind, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You cannot value another person above yourself if you see yourself as the authority if you see yourself as the bishop, as the pastor, you can't have that humility. If you see yourself as the teacher, if you have, if you've taken a position that says, oh, I can't go there, I can't do that, because that would hurt my pride, my My family would never agree with me. You need to be broken by the Holy Spirit. Your will needs to be broken. You can dress it up in all the finery of the Christian life you want to, but there's still a pig nature underneath. Please, I don't mean to be offensive, but there's still a pig nature underneath. And you can't cover the smell. It smells of pig pen. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was the mindset of Jesus? I want to read it for you. By the way, we're doing an offertory today and if your heart is humble before God and you know that these messages are straight from the heart of God and you want to help cover the November bill, would you call right now 877 and make a pledge? If I need to, I'll do multiple days of offertory, but how I hate that. I pray God would just move in your heart and you would be generous. Some of you can give $10. Some of you could give $5,000. Give whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to give. Give as the Spirit calls you. Give with a humble heart. 877 Five three four zero seven eight zero. you're listening to Pastor Ray Greenley on Pilgrim's Progress. Would you give now? Take just a moment, call, talk to Brother Kevin, Tell him how much you're willing to give. Let's come back now to Philippians the second chapter. He's saying out of. Out of the love you have with Jesus, out of the common sharing of the Holy Spirit, out of the tenderness and compassion, be like-minded. Having the same love one for another. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't try to be the boss. Don't lord it over other people. Be the servant. My heart has been broken so many times in the church by my own acting in ways that were harsh toward another in word or action and others acting that way toward me. And I know it's not of Jesus. It's of pride. It's of selfishness. It's of hearts not broken, not humbled. And what I'm telling you today is that until my heart is sufficiently humbled before God, I will not receive the full baptism of Pentecost, and neither will you. This is not about knowing all the theology. It's not about Having the facts down. It's about giving up our pride and dying to it. It's about humbling our hearts and letting our wills be broken to the will of Jesus. That's what this is about. You can be effective in the flesh to a certain degree, you can accomplish certain things in the flesh. You can even be a Christian in the flesh, but not a real Christian with power. The flesh can't do it. Only the Spirit can. And I hope you're beginning to catch today I'm talking about the difference between sin in the flesh and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Let me finish now this passage. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Literally, what it's saying is, He did not hang on to his power as God. He was willing to lay his power, his dignity. He was willing to lay everything down to come and be born as a baby in a manger, to humble his heart. And in so doing, he took on the very nature of a servant or a slave one who had no rights, one who could not defend himself, one who was there to humbly serve others. He was made in human likeness. He was found in the appearance of a man. But he humbled himself and became a servant man And as a servant man, he humbled himself once more by becoming obedient to death. But it wasn't just being humble to be willing to die as a martyr or be willing to die as a hero. He died as a criminal would die on a cross. This is referred to as the cascade of God's love. As all of heaven opened its doors and the cascading love fell down upon the earth and found its way to a humble cross where he was hung up to die. You know, we sometimes talk about the wolf nature versus the lamb nature. They're so different. The wolf will fight and bite and devour and kill. The lamb will not. The lamb walks away. Or you could talk about it also in terms of what the Lord spoke about. probably should read it for you keep your finger right there i'm going to come back to philippians and to mark if we have time in isaiah 41 the lord is speaking he's saying do not be afraid you worm jacob little israel do not fear For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. "'You will thresh the mountains and crush them. "'You reduce the hills to chaff. "'You will winnow them. "'The wind will pick them up "'and a gale will blow them away. "'But you will rejoice in the Lord "'and glory in the Holy One of Israel. "'The poor and needy search for water, "'but there is none. "'Their tongues are parched with thirst. "'But I, the Lord, will answer them. "'I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. "'I will make rivers flow on barren heights "'and springs within the valleys.'" I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. That's revival. But do you notice how it begins? Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob. The Lord in the Psalms is referred to as a worm. A worm has a characteristic. It won't fight back. You can step on a worm and it won't fight, it won't bite. But if you step on a snake, it's going to strike you and try to kill you. A snake is going to hiss and fight and rise up, it's going to defend itself. A worm is never going to do that. You notice that Jacob is referred to as a worm. And then he's referred to as a threshing sledge. I want you to catch this. In man's pride, he is a worm. But when he's broken, he can be made into a threshing sledge. And revival comes. The reason we don't have revival today in America is that we have our confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in the flesh. Now in Philippians, it says... Verse 9, this is chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch it? He is first humbled, broken, gives up his life, And then he has the power. You see, in the book of Mark, this boy filled with an unclean spirit, the disciples can't heal him. They can't cast the demon out. Why not? Because they're arguing on the road about who's going to be the greatest. They can't. They can't cast the demon out because their cry is for their own power. They were unwilling to be broken. So Jesus calls them together in verse 35. This is Mark nine thirty-five. He calls them together and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now we find this same story is spoken of in Matthew 18, and there Jesus says to the disciples, unless there is a change in you, you cannot enter eternal life. And that word change in the Greek is a radical twist of direction, a total change of direction. And then they actually walk it out. They're not able to heal this child. They're shamed. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to change. Now, we can say fasting and Prayer, and yes, but what is the purpose of fasting and prayer? To humble our hearts before Almighty God. We fast to show how vulnerable we are and how weak we are. To allow the Spirit to rise up in us and the flesh to be put down in us. We pray for the same reason. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? teacher said john we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us in other words we're somebody we're important people and jesus says don't stop him for no one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything bad about me For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose his reward. In other words, stop being so so arrogant, so proud. And then he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, Those who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them if a large millstone was hung around his neck. What's he talking about? He's saying, look, when you become like a little child, you become very vulnerable, and I'm going to watch out for you. And if anyone would cause you to stumble or cause you harm, I will deal with them. And then he does the whole thing with your. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again? In other words there's no bite In a person who's arrogant and proud, there's no ability to cast out demons when you're proud and arrogant. The greatest need in my life that I am constantly submitted to the Holy Spirit over is that my heart and my will should be utterly broken to the will of Jesus Christ. He is the one who receives all the glory. I pray that's where your heart is too. Lord, I love you. And I'm asking that every portion of my heart that is in any manner lifted up in pride would be broken. I ask that this brokenness of will could take place fully and completely in my life. That I would not reflect the snake or the wolf, but I would reflect the lamb or the worm. Lord, I pray that you will deal with my heart faithfully, and I know you will. You are. And I pray you'll deal with the heart of every person listening to this broadcast. That Almighty God, we could be humble enough by the breaking by your blood, Jesus by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that when we speak to a demon, it will flee. That we will have the power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do what you said we were supposed to do in Mark 16. Lord, I just cry out for you today. Would you have your way? Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. Today's an offertory day, but we didn't do an offertory. Instead, we we ask that you simply call in and the number is 877-534-0780 and make a pledge. I pray some of you have done that. We need to cover the cost for radio for the month of November. Now, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online with PayPal. Or you can write directly to us, and that address is on the webpage at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon.